Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, today I have on the show someone who flips a lot of properties, so it's going to be a really cool discussion, a little bit different from what we've done in the past. Uh, I have with me right here, Sean Allen. Sean, how you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for making the drive up to uh, to come no do this in person. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, you're uh, you're everywhere, Sean. I see you. Uh, <laughs> I see you on social media. Every single event, there's a picture of Sean Allen. Um, yeah. He's uh, all over the place, and I don't think I know anyone doing more either. So, how the heck do you find time for it all? Uh, well, it's it's slowly evolved. I you know didn't start out big, of course, and uh, you know just slowly got into different facets of things. You know, starting to run Onria, the Real Estate Investment Association in London. <clears throat> you know, that's just sort of progressed out of doing, going to other people's um, investment clubs and starting to feel like we needed something closer to our home base. I can I can definitely relate to that because I've been feeling a lot like I want one in the Hamilton area. I, I guess yeah. there is there are a couple yep. uh, that are happening here, and I need to uh, to immerse myself in that more. Yes. Uh, so, Onria, how long have you been doing that? Uh, we just passed one year mark for Onria, so I think it's uh, this will be. We only do ten a year, so I think we're on our twelfth coming up. Okay, yeah. so ten meetings every year, yep. and uh, just since it was brought up, uh, what's uh, what's the best way for people to find out about that? Uh, yeah, for sure. So Onria dot com. Uh, you can find us on social media as well: Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, we meet every month in London at the uh, Best Western Lamplighter Inn. Okay, yep. so that's O N R E I A. Dot com. Dot com. You got okay. it. Yep. Just to, yeah, just to make sure. Okay. So Sean, one of the things that um, has always struck me about you, and I think we've known each other for like six years, something, something like that. that. Yep. It's been a while back in the, uh, the London Lyric That's meetups. Right. Yes. Yeah. A lot of good connections <laughs> come from that. Absolutely. I've met, met so many people through that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that always struck me is where a lot of people are focused on the big deal. You are the guy that's perfectly happy to find consistent profits in deals. Doesn't have to be big. You just methodically work your way through. Um, how do you, I mean, I think you did 30 last year. Yeah. How do you sleep at night? <laughs> well, you know, I think it, it's a good point that you bring up. Some people like the, the home run. I like to do the home run as well, but singles are fine for me as well. Right. So um, it's not necessarily just the big one that makes you the money, but if we can consistently do a number of deals making you know smaller profit, but still good profit, it still adds up, right? Um, so it's just a matter of putting systems in place and, and being comfortable yeah. with going finding those deals. How, what kind of systems have you put in place in your, your business right now? Uh, and it, it's been evolving. I mean, we obviously have had challenges. Um, it's difficult when you're first starting to know exactly what to do. So it's about getting the right people in place. It's about knowing your numbers, making sure you have the right lenders. Um, you know, we do all, all private uh, lending for our projects. So banks aren't really helpful when it comes mm -hmm. to flipping. So, you know, you have to have a stable of people that are willing to invest in you. Um, okay. And you have to know how and where to find properties and deals. Okay. So, yeah, you just gave a lot of information. I think it'd be yeah. super useful if we kind of just dug into building that system from the ground up. Yep. So the system started at the system started at some point where you did your first deal. Why don't you take me back to that whenever that was? Maybe that was a while back. <laughs> that was a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. 
the first deal, I mean, I, I really didn't know what I was doing when I first got into it, right? Like most people, they just sort of jump in, figure out what they're doing as they go. The first deal I ever bought was at an auction and I really didn't even have any intentions of buying the property. I just went to take a look at it, figure out how this stuff works. You know, I was, I was reading uh, investing books and you know, watching HGTV and all that stuff, right? Um, so the first one, I just wanted to go to an auction and figure out what was going on. I ended up buying a property and, uh, and making pretty much every mistake that you could make uh, when you're flipping a house. So um, systems start, I think, you know, when you jump in and you, you don't really know what you're doing, you make a lot of mistakes. You can build systems based on the mistakes so that you don't make that mistake again, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, definitely. So was that uh, one profitable? It was profitable, believe it or not. Yeah, it was. Uh, I did make a lot of mistakes. And, and that's what kind of, you know, kept me in the game is I made so many mistakes and I still made a lot of money on it. Yeah. Right. And so it's just showed me the power of what can what real estate can do for you and the power of flips and the power of real estate in general. But that's what kind of got me hooked on the on the flip portion of it. Yeah, there's there's definitely an interesting approach there and, and I, I actually find that the creative aspect of that especially because you get to do it so much you get to be creative you get to say every every day is a new problem every day is a new yeah. a new challenge um your first deal how much ballpark was that that you bought for uh it was a long time ago i'm gonna uh, this is sort of a guess but i think it was around 267 or something like that that i bought yeah. it for ended up making about uh, just under thirty thousand on that one okay so thirty thousand, you thought, yeah. hey, that's that's a pretty good start. Yeah, absolutely. How many years ago was that, approximately? Oh, it's uh, it's over ten for sure. Over ten. Yeah. yeah. But you've done a lot. Ten years, and you're doing thirty a year now. Yeah. Okay, so ten years ago, you did that. Were you working a job at that point? I was. Yeah. So when I first started, I I started slowly, right? I, that after that first one, I kind of got into finding more and more and, and, and reading more and more and trying to figure out what to do. And and everyone was saying the best wealth builder really is to uh, invest in buying holds. So that's what I started doing. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking for buying holds. I wanted duplexes, triplex, all that stuff. And so I was doing that while I was working full time. I was corporate, uh, job in, in HR. Um, and I was there for a long time, 18 years total. Um, but what I found out when I was doing these buying holds is that you quickly run out of money. And we're talking yeah. about back in the time when you could put 5% down, right? right? You could refinance, Basically, almost all of it out to back to 5%. Um, but you still, because you're buying these undervalued properties and still adding to them, you, you run out of, of money very quickly. So after a while of doing that, I was out of cash, out of my own cash. Um, right. And I wasn't really into the whole investor game and how do you get investors for your for your buy and holds and how do you get investors for your for your projects. So uh, I needed to find another sort of outlet of how how can I keep going. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's when I started getting back into the flips and I started really slowly again. Like I was doing two, three year, maybe four or five, yeah. got up to six. And then the last year I, I quit my HR job about five years ago. Okay. And at that time I was doing, I think nine was the most I had done in the one year. Okay. So from that point on, um, you know, I, I started getting more and more and then I got a coach and then after having the coach, we ended yeah. up doing 30 last year. So, so you set some pretty <clears throat> ambitious goals and, and you hit them. I did. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. Okay. So when you were in your first year, I mean, you did the first one. You started buying some buy and holds. Did you keep them? I did. So you, okay. So you still have uh, some of those buy and holds now. Yeah. Um, with the flips, when you started kind of picking up steam with that again, that's your income source. 
What were you shooting for? Like what was a target profit on a, on a deal? Uh, because we were doing so many, I wanted, I started to set a minimum and my minimum to make it worth my while was 20,000 profit per deal. So as long as I hit that goal as a minimum projection, then we were okay to go ahead with that. Okay. So 20,000 per deal is what yep. you're shooting for. Yep. Did you have ones where you thought you were going to make 20 and you made 40? I had quite a few where, um, you know, we started to set the, the bare minimum at 20,000, but knowing that we could on some of these deals make, you know, 40, 60, whatever. Mm-hmm. So 20 was just sort of the, the bare minimum to be able to go forward with the deal. Okay. Right. But a lot of them we had projected higher just because we knew that it would be higher. Right. So you're projecting higher. Um, did you have one where you see my worry? Here's here's where when you initially told me that this was my first reservation, which I'm sure some people would have, <laughs> is when you're when you're kind of treading that thin line of okay, 15, 20, well, yes. I mean twenty thousand, it should be good, but I mean, you and I both know if you get into an expensive problem, you know, twenty bucks, twenty grand can be eaten up pretty quick in For real sure. estate. Yeah. Um how have you mitigated that risk when you're looking at a flip and saying, okay, 20 grand, I'm ready to go in. Are you just playing the numbers and saying, hey, occasionally it might happen where I might lose, but I'm, and generally I should, I should be making money at this number? Yeah. And I think, you know, as, um, you know, in general flipping when you're doing real estate, there's an inherent risk in what you're doing, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of unknowns. As you get more and more prepared and knowing what you're doing and get more experience, I think that risk is mitigated a lot more. Um, When I say 20,000 is kind of the go um, where we'll say we'll we'll go ahead with the project, there's a lot of um, uh, reserve in there, right? So that's kind of like the absolute worst case scenario. So when I'm running my numbers, I'm saying worst case scenario, this is what happens and this is what the numbers will come down to 20 grand, right? Then we can move forward with that. So a lot of that risk mitigation is built into that. So give me an example of something you build into your numbers that is a is sort of a pad if an expense comes up. Yeah. So we would pad the numbers. We would just put in like a percentage of 5%, 10% of just miscellaneous. Right? Miscellaneous extras you can't yeah. even predict. Don't know what's going on. Don't know what's going to happen. This is the number to pad it. So um, if, we, if we look at an example, um, like say you're kind of average flip. We yeah. kind of go right to the middle. Sure. What types of things are you doing? Uh, on an average flip, I, I'm usually doing, it seems like every property I do, it's a kitchen, it's windows, flooring, paint. Like that's sort of always the bare minimum. Bathroom too? Like are you doing a yeah, bathroom? Re- yeah, refresh or, um, you know, or redo the bathroom. Um, it's not a lot of the time where we're getting into the bigger stuff like ripping down walls or redoing drywall, although we do that a lot as well. Okay. Um, so we sort of run the gamut, but the average one would just be like those main portions, the kitchen, bathroom, flooring. Which for anyone listening slash watching, kitchen and bathroom, two biggest those, selling features of the money house. Your right there. They're, those yeah. are your money makers, right? Yeah. So it's worth investing there because that's the first place people's eyes go. Absolutely. I mean, drywall is drywall in a hallway, but that's a right. kitchen, that's that's something. So, yep. so you're always doing a kitchen. So when you're looking at your numbers there, are you saying, okay, well, I've got, I'm going to spend this on appliances. I'm going to spend this on my countertops and my my cupboards yep uh my backsplash is this all my flooring is this and then my toilet and my tub surround are this so you have a number for all those things including paint and caulking trim anything like that that you need and then on top of that you're just saying okay let's just gross that up by another five ten percent correct and when i'm doing those numbers like if i'm if i'm itemizing kitchen counter um you know paint whatever i'm always um on the high side of that 
So I'm, I'm taking mm-hmm. that even more risk out of it by saying, so if I know it's going to be 250 yeah. like $250 for this one thing, I'm probably more on the 270 right? So I'm sort of padding it right. as I go on each, <coughs> excuse me, on each item. And then at the end, there's a miscellaneous sort of grouping to it as well. Okay. So generally speaking, are you like 98% of the time coming in under your budget? Uh, yeah, or around it. Around I, yeah, because there's always, like you said, right? There's always something that comes up. Yeah. So there's something that always eats that money up. Yeah. But if you've already padded for it, then it, it's easier yeah. to swallow, right? What's the worst unexpected thing that's that's ever come up? Oh, <laughs> Second worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, we just had one a little while ago where we didn't expect to have to sort of rewire the entire house. Um, mm-hmm. But after we got into, and this is a, a sort of, bigger flip where we had to take out walls and we had to do redo redo drywall and insulation and stuff we figured out that at the end it was going to be easier and more um cost effective to just rewire the house added a lot more money to it but in the end it makes more sense so yeah by the time you get the drywall off you're looking at the wires and saying but if we patch this we're going to spend more in time and materials than we would to just pay like kind of new construction rate to just yeah. rewire it well not only yeah. that it doesn't give the quality of mm-hmm. the product as well to the end like we want to have a, a product at the end that mm-hmm. someone can just move into and be very happy with right okay so wiring was a big one have you ever had yeah. um i'm trying to think like any water or foundation related issues that have come up that you weren't expecting uh not really we do a pretty good job of making sure we know yeah. what's up with the property before we buy it right and a lot of yeah. the ones if you're actually going to gut the entire thing mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter because it's all coming out anyway right? yeah yeah absolutely if you know you're just going to go take a wrecking ball while yeah. sledgehammer to it then yeah no worries you, you don't have to look quite as hard one thing i will say that that i've always looked very closely at is yeah i will look around the foundation what I'm really looking for lately is is the outside of the building and how the grade slopes towards the house. Because yes. some houses on a hill, it's just like a problem that you almost can't really get rid of. Yep. Like you're always going to have water coming towards your house. That's I right. also don't really love houses with trees around them, like big tall trees over over top because they clog your eaves troughs. Yep. Eaves troughs overflow. Clog and then, your drains. Yeah. Water, water starts pouring off the, the roof into your basement. Yep. Um, those are, you know, I've had those problems before when I'm like, oh my God, like, why didn't I waterproof <laughs> this basement, That's right. which is super expensive to do. Yep. But if you, if you can set up your, your renovation properly, or if you can even cut down the tree that's, yep. uh, that's close, um, definitely that's, that's something to consider. But I would say I've, I'll see that on a property now because I've run into it. I've been, I bought the property on the hill and then just nonstop problems with water. I'm like, never again, not buying a property on a hill. <laughs> yeah. That sort of stuff scares me as well. And I try yeah. and stay away from it. Um, I also don't like, you know, when you're getting to about trees, you know, a lot of times when there's trees and you know that there's lots of them, they're deep, deep roots and big roots that are going to run through the drain on the outside. Yeah. Um, it, that's, it's just things that you just can't see. Right. So that sort yeah. of scare, not doesn't scare me off, but it would be something that if I was going to move forward with that deal, I'd definitely really pad the budget on that. Yeah, this is great. This is like a, a little, what to, what to look out for yeah. uh, segment, which I don't think anyone would know it better than you because you go into the property hoping not to put in the big money. You know, yes. you don't want to be digging up a sanitary line connection to your sewer. You, you don't want to do those things because those cost big money. Yeah. I've just been going through it on one of my properties too, where this this is something anyone should check if you're buying a house is there a big tree in the front yard and how old is the house because some old houses have clay drain tile right. uh for a sanitary connection and tree roots can break right through it yep and then other ones will be like the concrete cast but then they'll have joints 
and then the roots come in the joints and that just happened at the property i just renovated and water backed up after like two weeks after tenants moved in yeah um so you really gotta it's best to scope that out is that what you're doing uh, well, and I ran into the same problem with uh, a property in London where, you know, two days after it was sold, they backed up. They backed up. Right. And there was just no way for us to know because, yeah. you know, it was working fine. There was no yeah. indication of anything. So um, I think that's that's what sort of has scared me off from, from that now. So if I was going to find a property like that and I had an issue where I, that concerned me, I would definitely get that checked out. Yeah. A big tree in the front yard and on a house like built say how what do you think probably earlier than the 1950s yeah yeah by the 50s they were doing the concrete which is a little better yeah but before that you've got clay tile which is just a nightmare yeah. uh, waiting to happen yeah and if uh, it's never been replaced since that time yeah. like just age alone is, is yeah. a problem right so well what you can do now so it's only like two three hundred bucks to get it camered yeah so if you just know to do that when you're going in you know it's worth potentially saving you tens of thousands yeah. uh, to dig it up so so that's one thing I'm actually what I might end up doing on my property is uh, doing this. Uh, it's like a fiberglass sleeve yep. that they, they ram down the drain and it'll go all the way out to the main sanitary sewer out on the road. Which and is what we did as well. Yeah, yeah. you did that. Yeah. Okay, so what did that set you back? Uh, geez, I don't remember at this point. I think it was uh, like a thousand bucks or something. That's it? I'm not sure. Okay, I can you remember. send me your guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember quite honestly. You're okay. doing 30 projects. You don't remember everything. <laughs> yeah. I had quotes. I had quotes for that, like $13,000 from like Mr. Reuter. Oh, uh, I don't think it was that much. Should, probably shouldn't go with them. No, I, I'm getting other opinions. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not under like pressure to do it right now. I've cleaned yeah. out the roots, but yeah. Okay. So what are some other things that, that you've seen that surprised you that, you know, it's kind of like I learned a lesson, you know, that was a mistake I made. I learned a lesson. I think just, uh, you know, and I've made so many that we really don't make the same mistakes anymore. I think we've yeah. got a pretty good system going on. But initially, mm -hmm. I, I think the biggest issue that I had was I was pushing for a deal. Mm -hmm. So if I couldn't find one, I sort of pushed for it. And I just, I wanted one so bad. I wanted to be able to be still be doing something that I would force the numbers. Okay. So, you know, you'd run the numbers and you go, oh, that's close, but you'd take a, a, a chance on it anyway. Whereas right now, if I run into that situation, I would never actually do it, right? So it's, I'm willing to wait instead mm -hmm. of pushing a deal. So you have uh, a critical thing that helps helps with patience and that's deal flow. Yes. Which is another, another question I had for you is getting 30 deals a month a year done requires you're 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 working on you said about 10 i think at a time eight to ten eight time, to yeah. ten at a time yeah. uh where are you finding these deals uh I, well now it's a lot of different sources i find i get a lot of private sent to me so it's a lot of people just knowing what i do mm -hmm. either through onria or just through my connections or even real estate agents that are sending me stuff that aren't listed mm -hmm. so they'll have um you know knowledge about this house and Hey, would you be interested in that? A lot of stuff comes from that route. I still do MLS listings. Um, mm -hmm. I probably find about 30% of my deals still through MLS. So through MLS. And yeah. and when you're buying them, how is it that you're seeing something you can make 20 grand on or maybe 30 uh, wherever you end up? Uh, how are you finding that and you're you're seeing that other people are not, yeah. uh, are not going after those? Or you're still able to, even if there are multiple offers, you're still able to make a deal. How do you find that's working? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, with multiple offers, uh, you're not, it, it's tough to win that, right? Because a lot of times you're getting someone who is either doing the work themselves, so they're not valuing their time and they're willing mm -hmm. to pay more. 
um, or they're buying it for their own personal residence, so they're willing to pay more because they're going to live there. Those sort of things I don't find lucrative. I, I really don't even mm-hmm. engage in throwing an offer in those ones. Um, but back to more back to the question of how do you find the deals? Because that's what everyone tells me. There's no deals out there, right? You can't find mm-hmm. deals, can't find deals, but I'm constantly doing it. I'll give you a good example. Um, the deal we're closing on on Friday, it was actually listed as a commercial property. And it was listed as commercial because it has three houses on the same lot. So they're basically saying that it's a multifamily residential. Okay. But in essence, it's three separate houses. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're doing is we're going to close on it. We're going to renovate all three houses, sever each one off, and sell them individually. Right. As residential homes. Yeah. Right. That, that's a good, uh, a good spot to win. And I've seen that in the past where you can kind of find something where other people don't see the value in it because they're afraid of it. Carmen had a, had a deal. Uh, Carmen was on an episode a, a few back and uh, she had a deal. It was a cottage on the lake that was heritage. And right. She didn't want to deal with it. You know, yes. no one wants to deal with it, right? Heritage properties, like they basically stop you from doing anything. You can't tear it down. Yeah. You can't even turn, take your wooden windows, like your inefficient yeah. wood windows and put vinyl in. That's nope, right. can't yeah. do that. Um, so you'll have to replace like for like. And, and a lot of people like, you know what, heritage? No way, I'm out. Well, I did the same thing. I found a property in a heritage neighborhood. No one really wanted it. So I ended up I ended up making like $70,000 just on the buy because what I wanted to do, I knew I could do it despite heritage. And I actually worked with the heritage planner, got it done. So you just had another example there of, of kind of taking something where other people don't really want to deal with it. And if you kind of become an expert at you know, severing lots, now you always have that in your back pocket. So you know you can go through a lawyer, you can go through the planning department. Uh, how's that going to look for you? Have you already spoke to the planning department about severing the lots? Yeah. So we've obviously in the due diligence, we talked about that just to make sure that there was an indication that we could do it. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, not 100%, but we still have some hurdles yeah. to go through. But even so, we've got a couple other backup, you know, how to get out of the deal and, and uh, how to make it profitable. Um, even if we can't do that. So you have a plan B? We got plan B and plan C. I always say that, yeah, plan A, B, and C. And I learned that from mistakes because I've been stuck a couple of times because I only had a plan A. Uh, I imagine you learned that fairly early on. Absolutely. Well, you have to have an exit strategy, right? So if one thing doesn't work, you want to make sure you're not stuck with something that you don't want. Okay. Yeah, I I agree completely. So what is your plan B in that one? You would just relist it as renovated? Would you rent it out or... Uh, yeah, so like plan B would be, so we're going to renovate them regardless, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll put them up. They're, they're super ugly right now, which is why most people probably bypassed it. We'll list it as commercial, which is most people are only looking for residential if they're looking for flips, right? So they bypass mm-hmm. that. It's also in a smaller town, which most people wouldn't do, but I've had great success in small towns. Um, mm-hmm. But plan B would be to fix them up. We can rent them out for significant cash flow. Um, or we can resell it as a group of three renovated houses on one lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a cash flow standpoint, I mean, if you could, if you could generate $2,000 a house or I don't know what, what that market you're in will, will allow yeah. for, um, you could maybe even sell it to an investor, right? Based on the, exactly. on, on yeah. the return. Yep. That's been a big thing for me too, right? Always having that, knowing that like if I, when I do a, a property that I'm going to sell, I'm always doing it as an investment property. I know you're a bit different because you're selling a lot on the on the market. Yep. But just knowing that, okay, I'll, plan A is to sell, but plan B would be, oh, I'll just refinance and, uh, and I'll keep. 
and I'm actually doing that right now on one property. I was going to sell it and I'm just like, no, I wouldn't get enough out of it. So I'll just refinance it and keep it because, yep. hey, I, I designed something that I would be happy to keep anyway. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned small markets and this is something I find so interesting because I've never done a small market. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel confident in small markets? What is it about it? And, you know, what's too small? What do you look for to know, hey, that market's going to be good in the long run? Uh, I just think uh, if you're looking at a small market, it obviously it helps to know that area. So if you live around that area or you have good knowledge of it, that's one thing. But if there's a demand or a, a decent demand for um, for residential housing in those markets, especially if it's on the outskirts of a bigger one, because people want they love to have that you know house just outside of town or mm-hmm. you know, a small commute away. Um, so that they have some land, they have some privacy. I think if there's a strong demand, and you can find that out easily from an agent or just looking up the information, if there's a lot of, um, if it's not sitting days on market for a long time, you know, if that's the case, then I'm more than happy to go in into those markets and do it. So you'll look for, um, you'll look for a market where what's what's the appropriate days yeah. on market? Like if if stuff is selling in 30 days or yeah, 30 days. Yeah. You know, that's typical. I think right now even less is um, you know in the in the bigger markets. But if I see you know a small town and things are sitting for 90 days, 120 days, that's a long yeah. time to be holding your money. Um, oh, yeah. So that wouldn't work for me. I wouldn't be interested in that. But so you, do you just work backwards? So you say like the average house price is 250 on the sale or 300 on the sale. And um, you do you just work backwards. You offer them the number that's going to get you there, get you your profit. And then you can still sell on, say, the low side of that market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll do we'll look at more. What are the comps? Maybe not the mm-hmm. average, but what are the comps for that? And then we need to buy at 60 percent of the arv the after repair value okay or less that's typically what we're looking so for. so you're shooting so as a general rule if you can't yeah. get it 60 percent or less that's that's probably not going to be one to look at correct and where in your discussion with sellers like i, I imagine you have a lot of meetings at a dinner table maybe yep. with uh with homeowners absolutely how do those meetings typically go what's your what's your approach when you go in well, we're really solving problems, right? So the properties that we buy are typically, it's either distressed property or it's mm-hmm. a distressed owner. Okay. Right? So we're there to solve a problem for them. It, it's a problem that they can't solve themselves. So either they can't sell on MLS because of the condition of the house, or maybe they're embarrassed about the house or embarrassed mm-hmm. about what's happened there and they don't want to deal with the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd rather sell privately to someone. There could be significant damage, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the reasons are. They inherited a house and they just want to get rid of it. There's there's all kinds of reasons why people sell these homes under value. Um, and it's not really under market value. It's under after repair value, right? So they're not right. willing to put that extra in to bring it to that value, which is why you get it where you do. Um, so the, the, the conversation really comes, it's framed around how can we help you? Is that what you is that what you come in as a starting line? And that's the way you have to think of it, right? You're helping them out of a situation, but you you know you still have to maintain what your numbers are. Mm-hmm. You still need to get it, and a lot of times it doesn't work, right? They we can't make a uh, a deal happen because they want too much for where they're at, or or whatever the reason is. Right? Do you take the the meeting regardless? Like you always do the face to face meeting before you before you ever talk numbers. Uh, not necessarily. It depends okay. on the situation. Yeah. Okay. So you might just call somebody and say, 
um, what's your number or, you know, how yeah. big is the house? Well, I mean, yeah. if someone's starting at 500,000 and you're, and you know yeah. that you're not going to pay more than 300, just as an example. Yeah. Like a lot of times, and, and you have the indication from speaking to them that that's not, they're not willing to move on that number, then it's, yeah. it's a waste of time. Right. So when you get them on the phone, these are, the, these are probably more likely the people who volunteer that their price, for sure. they're upfront yeah. about their price before yeah. you even have to ask kind of thing. Yeah. What well, we're looking for this, or we think we should be in this market. Exactly. Do you ever have people that say, well, we were thinking we'd be selling around here and it's way above where you wanted, but you still somehow get a deal done with them? Yeah. I mean, if there, if I think that there is some uh, mm-hmm. indication that we there's room there to wiggle, or maybe they just don't have an understanding of, of where they are. Someone told them a number or they just made mm-hmm. up a number. But when you show them what things are going for, what the repairs are, et cetera, et cetera, like, you know, there's a medium ground or a middle yeah. ground for a lot of that. So how are you, because you're not a realtor, correct? I'm not, no. How do you come in and, and show them comparables? Because I know in the past, I, I've had a realtor friend that I've asked, you know, try and get some yeah. things prepared. But I've, I've often got this feedback from people, well, I just want to check with my realtor first. And usually when they check with their realtor, their realtor is like, oh, you definitely want to list that. Yeah. Uh, which I'm like, damn, <laughs> foiled. Yes. Um, how, how do you, uh, how do you deal with that? Do you come in with, with comps because you have a really good realtor friend or is this a realtor that you end up using when you sell the property? Is that, how does that relationship work there? Yeah, I, I've got a, I mean, we do it a number of different ways, right? So we do have realtors that, uh, we work with that, that will help us, mm-hmm. uh, with comps and, you know, if we buy something with a realtor, then we'll reward them with the sale afterwards. Okay. Um, I do sell a lot privately myself uh, without a realtor okay. as well. Um, so, yeah, so we have that sort of knowledge. We've got that uh, information that we can give. But there's also a lot of just general stuff where mm-hmm. you can just explain to them, like, for instance, repairs, right? Yeah. Um, if they, they know that, you know, their furnace is shot, they've got a crack in their foundation, this, that, and the other yeah. thing. You can explain to them those values, which yeah. I mean, they're not subjective. People can can understand what that is, right? Do you ever come in with quotes for the work? Yeah, or? I mean, quotes uh, are just you know information, right? Just yeah. so that they have it. They can do their own, and we always we're not pushy, right? So you know, if this works for you, great. Do your homework. Make sure this works for yeah. you. Um, typically, if someone's going, you know, to a realtor after that. Yeah. I mean, realtors tend to say a lot of different things of what they can get for value and what they can't and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, right? But some of these things are just, you know, items or houses that people don't want to put on the market for whatever reason. I could see that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially if they don't want to clean it up or yeah. maybe a tenant situation. Tenant situation, hoarders, uh, you know, people just embarrassed about the way that they live. Mm-hmm. Like there's all kinds of reasons, right? Yeah, so I guess you could even if if there was a fundamental problem that you were willing to fix, um, odds are you're able to do it cheaper than they are. Yep. You could even just say, "Go ahead, like get it quoted." Um, you know, you can confirm these values for yourself. But this is going to be, you know, if we're working, this is the profit I need to make. Yes, and you know, this is where I need to get it, and you know, less what I have to put into you know these major things that have to be fixed. Yep. Um, and I think flippers sometimes get a bad name, right? Because okay. there's a there's a misconception, I think, that when we're buying these houses so far under um, ARV so that yeah. we can make money, that we're taking advantage of people, right? Right. Um, and we're not. We're, well, sorry, I can't speak for everybody, but yeah. we're not. I'm very upfront with people when we're yeah. buying their house. This is a business and I'm going to make money on doing it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. 
Yes. And this is how we do it, and this is what's going to happen, right? So if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, yeah. But a lot of times we can uh, just give you an example where if people have a house and they've got, let's say it's a hoarder house, right? Or, the, mm-hmm. you know, it's just absolutely filled with crap and they don't want to actually do any work. They can close the door, lock it, give me the key, and we'll take care of that situation yeah. for them, right? And a lot of people find extra value in that, yeah. right? They can move on with their life and get going. Yeah, you're solving a problem. I mean, whether rational or irrational, um, sometimes people just can't emotionally handle it anymore, right. right? Yeah, and or I, don't want to. Yeah, or just don't don't want to, right? It, you could be the biggest blessing they ever had by by just stepping in and taking care of it for Absolutely. them. So um, that's very uh, very interesting how you're able to do that. What percentage would you say you're able to actually get a deal done on? Like the ones that you take a meeting on? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the old funnel truth, uh, I think, speaks for itself, right? You look at 100 properties, you offer on 10, and you get one, right? And I think that's, you know, there's some variation to that, but it's, it's pretty consistent. There's so a you're lot seeing of work 100 properties for one? Not Levi. personally, right? Okay. So if we're like looking at 100 properties, yeah. for instance, on MLS, yeah, right? And you're sorting through all these oh, ones. Oh, absolutely. So the first sort of phase is, does it, is there any indication that I can meet my first criteria, which is getting at 60% on the dollar? Okay. Right? And if so, and then it looks, usually we do about 70 when we're siphoning at first That uh, in that regard. Can we get at 70% of the value? If so, it goes into the next bucket, right? And then we'll start siphoning that down even further. So when you're looking at it, Say, for instance, London, because that's a market we both know yep. uh, pretty well. Um, you're, you're looking at maybe a bungalow, 1,000 square foot in a nice neighborhood. Could be worth 450 475 when it's done at the after repair value. <clears throat> so you're you're going to do a filter, maybe search for detached homes, say. And then are you just going to put a maximum price on it if you're searching the MLS? You just say, well, I want to see 325 or less. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't think I don't really do it as as sophisticated as that, right? I think that takes a lot more time. I kind of just scroll through, and because I know the neighborhoods or I know the area, yeah, um, I'm able to sort of pick out stuff that doesn't look right, right? It looks a little so, too low, or yeah, it looks so like there's an opportunity. If, if this neighborhood is like you say, four seventy five, and this comes up as three sixty. That's a pretty good indication that there's some value there, right? And then you can mm-hmm. start looking into it further. What's the description say? You know, the typical TLC or yeah. needs your extra care or designer's dream or whatever, right? And then you can, you know, delve into it even more. Well, you said something uh, interesting before uh, just about negotiating deals. And it is a big factor. And I feel like a lot of people aren't aren't aware of it is that some people just don't value their time. Absolutely. And a lot of these properties that go into bidding wars they end up selling for an absolutely unreasonable number. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I went in and saw one and if I had done all the work myself and, and literally just worked for free and, and did everything, I still probably would have made like zero. Like I, I could have done the whole thing for zero profit. Yeah. Um, and there are people that'll do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're willing to do, to do something like that, well, that person, they, they, they mess it up for guys like, like yeah. us that, you know, just want to find, find a deal. So I think that's right. where going back and doing it off the market where you can kind of get out of some of those bidding wars and just focus on, you know, rationality and, and people being rational and reasonable about things. Yeah. Um, it works out better. Well, and that's why I say I don't even typically like I've got to the point now where if I know there's 10 offers or you just like screw it. Yeah. I just won't even put one in because yeah. it doesn't make sense. Right. Cause there's always that person who's buying it for themselves and that they're going to, but yeah. in whatever they don't care that they're not going to make money 
Or there's the flipper who will do it all himself. You know, it takes him six months after mm-hmm. his real job yeah. of him doing five hours a night for six months. Yeah. Not paying himself. He makes $10,000 yeah. at the end of the day when he when he sells it. Yeah. But did you really make 10000 No, because you would have made more money yeah. just doing something else, right? You need to look at your hourly rate. <laughs> yeah. What is What's your, your time worth? Right? Yeah. I mean, there, there are... Yeah. You, you you work it all out and you probably would have made more working at McDonald's part time. Yeah. So if you make $30 an hour at yeah. your job, yeah, then you could just probably for most of these guys work more at their job. Yeah. Right. And make a lot more money than if they had done that. But yeah. Well, I mean, there are a couple of exceptions, obviously owning real estate. There are some tax sure. advantages, but not a, not so much if you're but flipping. If you're flipping. Yeah, yeah. Flipping that it's just income, right? You're, yeah. you're going to pay the tax anyway. So exactly. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely true. Um, so there was a point when you quit your job. Like, what point did you say, "Hey, I'm making enough from this where I could just quit my job"? Yeah, um, it's a scary thing, right? Like yeah. You've got it's a security blanket when you're working mm-hmm. for uh, you know a corporation that's uh, well respected and you have good hours, good pay, good pension. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I hemmed and hawed back and forth of whether I should do it for a long time before I actually took the jump, but. Here's what it come down to for me. There's always going to be a ceiling on how much money you can make when you're working for someone else, right? So that ceiling was going to be there for me no matter if I got promoted, you know, one spot, two spots. There's always going to be that. With real estate, there is no ceiling. I can make as much money as I want or as much money as I'm willing to work for, right? So I got to the point where I was comfortable that I had enough investors. I was comfortable enough that I had enough leads and enough experience to make the jump and and that's what mm-hmm. we did. Okay. Now obviously you've as you've indicated your your income is is gone probably more exponentially up since you've really dove into this. Yep. Um what's driving you to do this? Like what's your goal with it? What are you trying to achieve if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, a few different reasons. One is um you know I think it's important to live the lifestyle you want, right? So mm-hmm. uh, my family likes to travel, so travel's expensive. That's one thing we want to live a certain lifestyle, and we don't want to have to scrimp for it. So mm-hmm. my my value is kind of always like I don't want to have to be the guy who has to save and do all this stuff to be able to do certain things. If I want to do something, I want to I can make more money to do that. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is I want to create uh, wealth for generational family. Right. So my kids, um, I want to pass this on to them. And it's it's just that's one thing that drives it. OK, very interesting. And and did you like did your family, did they ever get into this like your your, nope. your parents at all? No. Nope. So that, were they just working jobs as per usual? Day to day. Yeah. Did what did that factor into your motivation at all? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe subconsciously, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but you see all kinds of people struggle, right? And day to day and people are losing their jobs. And, you know, it's that's typical in society right now, I think, where people are, you know, undervalued, underpaid. And you know, a lot of times they're struggling to do everything. I don't want to struggle. I want to be able to make my wealth. I want to mm-hmm. be able to make my money on my own terms. right? On your own terms. That's the biggest one, right? Yeah. So you don't like being told what to do? Yeah. I like being told what to do. I, I like autonomy. Like, yeah. you know, sure, I work a lot of hours and we do a lot, but it's when I want, how I want, mm-hmm. right? Would you say, and we're getting philosophical here, would you say <laughs> that what you do is difficult? Um, it's not difficult. Uh, I think anybody can do it, but it's whether you're willing to do it, to willing. do what it takes. This is the part where it gets interesting. Okay. 
what is the difference? Because we both know there are plenty of people who are going to listen to this or watch it and then just watch Netflix tonight. Sure. What's the difference? Why are those those people, you know, the person that tried to find something said, oh, I can't find anything and they just quit versus somebody like you who, yeah, maybe you had a little luck on that first one. You yeah. made the mistakes and still profited. And I think I did too. You know, the first property that I, I did the significant reno, I did end up selling it and, and you know, it made tons of mistakes and it, and it ended up being positive. Do you know what the difference is? Do you have any feeling what the difference is? I think you just have to make a decision. Right. <clears throat> is this what you want? Is this how you want to live your life? Yeah. Um, I didn't want to be, you know, leaving the house at five in the morning, yeah. coming home at five, six at night, <clears throat> not doing what I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't think that's, uh, for me, that's just not a good way to live. Okay. So you um, weren't enjoying your I work. wasn't enjoying what I was doing, yeah. um, you know, along with the, the money part of, you know, having a ceiling. Yeah. And uh, I think just together, you kind of have to putting that all together you have to make a decision and and then once you make that decision it's really about the effort and dedication to do it right yeah absolutely um i think that uh that people have that little breaking point sometimes you know you hit that for me um i don't i don't know if it was this i've had a couple little little breaking points where i've hit and i'm like okay it doesn't really matter how much work this is going to be it's just worth it no matter what you know, if I need to stay up all night or sleep in a house while it's being renovated, um, I'll do those things because yep. it was just, it was too painful not to do it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that Tony Robbins, I think it was, said that um, you either need to be more obsessed with where you're going or rub salt in the wound more or less of what you don't want. You know, like yep. focus on what you don't want and just how much that sucks. If you need some motivation. That's right. You know, yeah. how will what I'm doing right now keep me where I am? Well, pain is more of a motivator than pleasure, right? So, it almost is yeah. because pleasure is so ambiguous, you know, like there's lots of things we enjoy, but we know, you know, most people there's a, there's a real, it hits home kind of pain. I know um, a friend of mine, I've been trying to get him on the podcast. He won't, he won't do it, but um, he was going, he was working as a mechanic and he was leaving every morning before his daughter woke up. And then by the time he'd get home he's with traffic and all that, so he's like 6am out the door. She's not up. And by the time he gets home at like seven, eight, eight o'clock, she's already in bed. And he was literally not seeing his own daughter. And it was at that moment where he's like, F this, I'm done. And he, you know, he started his side hustles. He started investing in real estate, um, you know, private mortgages, just this and that. And, and he's, he doesn't work anymore. He just, he quit his job. I don't, I'm not sure how long it took him, but, uh, and then eventually he did the same for his wife. She was working too. And he's like, no, I don't want you working anymore. And now they both. Yeah. Uh, they both just kind of do their own entrepreneurial thing. And I love seeing stories like that. I guess I just wanted to dig into the psychology uh, because I agree. I think anybody can do this, but it is like the mistakes, right? You're going to make mistakes. It's going to hurt. It's going to, yep. you're going to skin your knee, but you got to get back up and do it. And I think a lot of people, if they just don't have that drive, it's because they haven't acknowledged the pain of not doing it, you know, but for or, everyone, it's different, right? Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of times people hit a roadblock. So whether yeah. you're, um, a landlord and you got a crappy tenant, right? And they destroyed yeah. your place. Or you, you're a flipper and you had a bad contractor who yeah. took you for some money. Or whatever that is, right? In real estate, a lot of people, when they get something like that the first time, they, they quit. And they don't they yeah. haven't passed that mark where they're actually starting to gain that value. So they don't know what they're missing. And they right. kind of say, well, I had this bad thing and I didn't like it, so it's not for me. The nice yeah. thing is, is if you get past... Hang on a sec. 
if you can get past the part where they uh, where most people give up, your competition goes down severely. Yeah, yeah. there's a, it's a very small percentage of people who invest in real estate of the general public, and an even smaller percentage that does any volume. Right. Yeah. Um, would you? Are there any things like main things that come to mind as like the major milestone hurdles that you overcame? Like what? What if you had to like say like there were four or five things that were just like I hit this milestone. It was or this this challenge overcame it and it put me to the next level. Yeah, I think for the for the flipping business anyway, one of the biggest uh, or the two biggest is deal flow. So finding mm-hmm. the deal. So you have to be be creative. But it also gets easier the the further you go, right? The more you do, the more things mm-hmm. come to you. That's just sort of how it, it ends up being. So you have to be able to push through that and mm-hmm. find finding the deals. The other thing is, um, you know, money, right? So yeah. again, you quickly run out of money. You quickly run out of sources. Banks aren't really that helpful. So you yeah. need private investors. Uh, and you have to be willing. And this is one of the things that was real big challenge to me initially uh, not so much anymore because I do it so much, but it's asking people for money. Right. right? Like you don't want to feel like you're begging someone for money yeah. when you're actually doing them a favor because right. you're paying them a great return and they're not going to get that anywhere else. But that's the sort of mindset change yeah. that you need to have instead of thinking that you're the one begging instead yeah. of giving someone value. Sales, yeah. right? It's all about sales. So you're selling in terms of that person, now that's, I, I've noticed you doing that. Hey, anyone want to, you know, I want to earn a good return or, you know, yeah. looking to put your money to work, right? That's right. I'm doing you a favor. Um, absolutely. Hey, like if you can pay somebody, you know, X percentage on their money when the bank's only giving them, you know, one and a quarter, you're doing them a favor. That's the beautiful thing about this business. Like you can borrow private money from people. Yep. They win, you win because you get the deal. It might be more expensive money than you're going to pay at the bank, but it's a heck of a lot better than not doing a deal. But here's the key, right? So when you're doing that, and a lot of um, novice investors might not do this, you have to understand that you're paying that extra. So work yep. that into your numbers when yep. you're deciding whether you can do it. It's an expense deal. item. Yeah, it yeah it's just like a kitchen. Hey, yeah. kitchen, private private money interest. That's right. Uh, yes. so, so you're working with, with some private lenders that way. I, I understand you also do a lot of private first mortgages. Yep. Um, yeah. Any tips to somebody getting started? Uh, you know, they want to renovate, they want to do the stuff, you know, the bank doesn't want to get involved in that so mm-hmm. much. Um, what are some good ways to, to find private lenders? Uh, well, brokers, I guess when you're when you're starting out, if you find a good broker who deals with private investors, that's one. Like a uh, mortgage broker. A mortgage broker, yeah. sorry. Yep. Um, you know, friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of money out there in RSPs, right? Yep. RSPs, TFSAs, Liras, whatever. There's a lot of money sitting out there that people have that are making terrible returns. Right. Yeah. Not only the return, but the fees and all that stuff. So if you can offer them a great return, um, you know, and it's backed by real estate. Yeah. Right? So it's actually against that property that you're that you're putting it on. So um, I think brokers number one, friends and family number two. Yeah. Uh, and then just again, it's one of those things where when you start to do things like this and you start to become successful, more people come to you. Right. Yeah. There is an attraction. Right. Yeah. I uh, I ended up. Um, borrowing some some money from a friend of mine and sure enough his mother-in-law sent me an email <laughs> got some money i'd like to invest Absolutely. well yeah. they see you making someone making good returns they yeah. want a piece of that right yeah so. it becomes discussion at uh, christmas dinner <laughs> well hey did i tell you yeah. we did a great deal well i want i want that no it's yeah. it's a it's a wonderful thing right as if you develop a reputation for uh for doing that yeah um you mentioned some you were doing a lot of reading. Like what what were some big inspirations for you, uh, book wise or you know, something you read or a podcast or what have you? Yeah. Um, I think uh, you know, 
all these sort of big big name books that everyone talks about, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so Wealthy Barber, okay. all those sort of things. Um, I did read all the Rain books, um, okay. like the Real Estate Investor Network, yep. uh, Don Campbell. Those were important. Um, when I, when I was getting more into it full time, I read Ian Zabo's book, Renos to Riches, okay. uh, which I really enjoyed. And then uh, on the podcast side, um, uh, I'm just trying to think of his name now. It's the MFCEO Project. That's the name of the podcast. Okay. Um, just trying to think of his name, but uh, I'm not familiar Frisella. with that. His name is Frisella, Andy Frisella. Okay. Yeah. So that one, just entrepreneurial wise, not mm-hmm. necessarily real estate, but as an entrepreneur, yeah. I found that very valuable. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. He's really in your face, sort of, you know, tell you how it is. And Do you ever, uh, ever listen to Gary Vanderchuk? Yep. Gary V was good too. Yeah. I enjoy him. And, I actually uh, drove down to St. Louis to when he did a book launch. Oh, really? Yeah, to see him and hear him speak. Yeah, if you need uh, the the no BS uh, yep. thing, if you need a little slap in the face, he's good for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Sean, was there anything else that uh, I know we we talked about your your triplex deal? Maybe we could just jump into ballpark, you know, cocktail no, number napkin numbers mm-hmm. where you think you're going to end up on that deal. So you're buying the three houses on one lot. Yes. What do you figure? Well, what's your purchase price on that? Two hundred and five thousand. That's a good deal for three yeah. houses. Yeah. So two hundred and five. Uh, what do you figure you're going to be putting into that? We're in around. The, so the projections for because most of it's on the exterior. The interiors mm-hmm. are actually pretty decent, but the exteriors look really hideous. I think for the three, we're going to be around two hundred thousand. Okay, so two hundred two hundred k Reno. Yeah. So we're at about four hundred all in. And then planning costs in, included in that? Yep. yep. So 400. And your, your interest, everything you're going to pay. Everything base. all in, done. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Now, the vendor is actually taking a vendor take back on this as well mm-hmm. for 150000 So okay. initially, the, the out of my pocket is very little. Right? Yeah. So creative deal making for anyone not familiar with vendor yeah. take backs, that's when you get the seller to hold you a mortgage on closing. So that just means you don't pay them everything. And now they're the bank. And uh, right. you could. Usually you can re- you can negotiate a pretty good interest rate. Yeah. Did you get yourself a decent I one? I did. Yeah. See, that's that's the benefit, right? Creative deal making. Yeah. So I'm saving a lot of money just on that from mm-hmm. not having to go to a private investor. Right? Yeah. That that helps big time. Okay. What do you figure this is all worth when you're done? Yep. So we it's sort of um, separated into there's like a big house. It's it's a duplex, and then there's two smaller houses. Mm-hmm. So the big house we're aiming on getting almost 400 on that when it's oh, done. Wow. So the big house will cover the cost, and then basically we've got two free houses on the side. I love two free houses. Yeah, <laughs> and those those uh, two free houses, what will you actually sell it for? Ballpark. Uh, yeah, we think the uh, the selling value would be around two hundred piece. Two hundred piece. Yeah. So you're looking at potentially a four hundred thousand dollar profit. Right. Wow. Yes. So this is one of your home runs, then. This is a home run. This isn't a single or a yes. bunt. No. 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 Um, this is a grand slam. This is a grand yeah. slam home run. Yeah. So four hundred k. Profit yeah. really right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's amazing. Um, okay, so in which is that in a smaller community or is that in a bigger community? It's in a smaller, town. smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. you know that's probably something a lot of people don't want to deal. Small towns. Exactly. And I'm guilty of that too. You know, I, I don't want to get into that when really you could. You just need to make the calls and, yeah. and t- talk to the people and decide which ones are are worth getting into. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, anything that you would want to share with uh, listeners and and watchers that we haven't discussed? I just think uh, it's really imperative that people take action, right? I, I see all the time when we're going out to investment uh, clubs or to conferences or whatever, 
all these people that sort of, you know, they're investment club junkies, right? Where yeah. they, they go from one to the next or the conference or the next book or the yeah. next, you know, thing to buy without actually doing anything. They yeah. haven't taken any action to move forward with the investing career. So without yeah. action, nothing happens, right? Yeah. So, so get on take the action, get doing it, do something. Right. And are you? Do you think people should be writing deals, or maybe even just calling realtors and seeing properties? Like what? Where? I mean, if you don't want to tell them to go buy a property yeah. and lose money, right? Yeah. But, don't buy one that I want to buy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think um, you know anything that you can do to actually move yeah. forward. So it takes yeah. like if you want to take actual action, then writing yeah. an offer is going to get you closer to buying yeah. a house than not writing an offer. Yeah. Right. Even writing one that's yeah. that you know is is maybe a little lower than what it might go for. You yeah. never know for sure. Right. Well, and you get in the practice of yeah. actually doing that, right? Yeah. So it, it becomes you know second nature to keep doing these things and then eventually you'll get a deal and you'll actually move forward again mm-hmm. and if you're scared or uncertain or you know whatever it is that's holding you back maybe you get a coach right mm-hmm. so instead of investing money doing all this other stuff get a coach who's yeah. actually doing what you want to do yeah don't reinvent the wheel i actually mm-hmm. generally tell people like don't don't go buy property you know, people ask me like how do you do what you do i'm like you know what? Honestly, I can't explain it to you right here, right now. Yeah. And I wouldn't recommend that you just go jump into something. I have like friends that are like, hey, what do you think of this? I'm like, don't buy that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like because you just you're not ready to deal with with what might happen. However, if you get a coach or if you have a mentor that that's done it, or even you JV with somebody somehow, and and they know how to do everything, and and you know they take half the profit. If if that if you have to work for free to learn it. Absolutely. Is that not worth it? For sure. For yeah. the, the lifetime lesson of knowledge of being able to do it. And it's better than not doing anything, right? It's absolutely better than not doing anything. So, yeah, well said. So, Sean, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best place for them to reach you? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Instagram, uh, at Sean Allen. Okay. Um, on Facebook, Sean Allen. Uh, also, Onria, so onria.com. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, so people might be able to, if you're in the area, you can come out to one of the meetups. Love to have everybody out. Everyone's welcome. Awesome. Well, uh, it's been it's been really awesome. Uh, so I like to do a uh, quick rapid fire. So okay. uh, <laughs> dream vacation. Bora Bora. Bora Bora. And you were just there. I was just there. Yeah. Literally, Check Sean's that already, one off the box. Yeah. He ticked it off. Uh, favorite book. Oh, geez. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Rich Dad Poor yeah. Dad. Yeah, that was one of my favorites too. Yeah. And uh, one thing about you that most people don't know. Um, I won a car by going in a last man standing contest. Really? Yeah. How, how does that work? 25 people start yeah. with one hand on the car and the yeah. last person to keep their hand on the car wins the car. It took me four days straight. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So that's I got a little bit of perseverance in me when I want it. Just, yeah, yeah just a <laughs> little bit of perseverance. Uh, that's a testament to your character. Okay. Uh, anyone want to reach, uh, reach me? Uh, it's at the Andrew Hines on Instagram is probably the best way. Uh, or you can go to andrew-hines.com. And uh, yeah, if you haven't already, rate the podcast, share it with a friend. Uh, there's probably a million people who could learn from what Sean just uh, laid out on the line here. So uh, share it with somebody, uh, help them out in their investing career. And uh, thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you on the next one.